I was having a good day last Wednesday. Uh, I was expecting an important phone call in the morning that would kind of determine my activities for the rest of the day. And I was driving when, to church, to work, and my phone started ringing. And I thought, oh, no, because I'm pulling up to Main Street. And there's a stop sign there. Let me stop and say there's no accidents. All right, that's what you're thinking. Coming up to the stop sign, I'm trying to stop and at the same time take off my gloves because if you have a touch screen, it doesn't work with your gloves. Get, trying to get the gloves off and reaching in my pocket underneath my harness here, trying to get my phone out. And it's not in my left pocket where I always put it. And so I think, check the other pocket. And so I'm getting out, trying to get into the other pocket. And I find it. It's there, but so is my pack of gum and my keys. And so I can't get the stupid phone out of my pocket. I finally do, just in time for it to go to voicemail, and that's when I shout a bad word. (laughs) The story continues. I pull out on the main street. I call the number back. It was an inconsequential call, irrelevant, not the phone call I was expecting. End of the phone call get to church, I start shoveling snow. Was that Tuesday or what day was it? Did we have a little bit of snow? Wednesday? So I was shoveling and then I thought, man, how come I reacted like that? That was the spirit of Travis, reacting out of frustration, lack of trust that God has everything under control. I was frustrated. And um, if I was operating in the spirit of Christ, if I deferred to that, I would have been okay. I would have still tried to get my phone. But if I didn't get it, I would have been, God's in control of the world. God's in control of my life. My life's not going to, is not dependent on one phone call coming in. And my day is going to be all right. It's in his hands. Um, I did not. We live in a world that is busy and, um, and we're striving and there's so many distractions going around. We had, uh, last week or maybe the week prior, we had Young Life in here with a fundraiser. Young Life is a Christian organization. Um, lots of different churches or students, church or not church, participate in Young Life. They were here, and they had a director that's pretty high up in their organization come from Iowa. And he was speaking here and giving us some statistics about the Z generation. Generation Z, born after 2000. Um, Not the millennial generation, but Generation Z. And for about half an hour, he gave us statistics on them. And he said that he had gone into a church once, and he was talking with another pastor and talking about the next generation. And and, uh, that pastor said, I think uh, everything's the same as when I was a kid. Uh, These kids just are more entitled and less disciplined. That's, That's the issue. And as he said that from this platform, I was sitting at a table here, and I was going, yep. For sure. And then he said, but I had to question that pastor, and I had to say, culture has changed drastically. And as Daniel the prophet said, he said, in the end times, knowledge will increase, and people will go to and fro. And that's the truth today with our travel, the amount of travel. We used to go, going from one village to the next village was a big deal. And now we go to three, four countries in one day, some people do. 
Knowledge increasing, so the internet coming in. Did you know that the average screen time for Generation Z, ages 8 to 18, is more than seven hours a day, according to CBS News, the poll that they just took? More than seven hours? How is that even possible? Well, I guess they're allowed cell phones in school now, right? They can be texting and stuff. It's more than seven hours. And they say the attention span of Generation Z is eight seconds. Studies show it's eight seconds. Because there's always a different stimuli popping in, a different distraction, something that's important, something to respond to, something to check or research or hear. And you are bombarded in culture. It used to be a billboard or a television commercial. Now it's everywhere all the time, nonstop, 24-7. Information flying at us. The attention span of a goldfish is nine seconds. How did they test that? I don't know, but I have stood in front of a goldfish bowl and like held like something shiny, and they come up and they look at it for about nine seconds. And then I didn't come up with a statistic. I'm just saying I've tested this. And they look at it for about nine seconds, and if you don't move or nothing happens, they stay there until about nine seconds, and then they kind of look elsewhere. Eight seconds for Generation Z. So, times are different in many respects. There's a lot of dodgeballs flying at people. We grow up in a sexualized culture, very sexualized, just the backdrop to everything. Families under attack, and it's always been. Families under attack. And that's Satan's strategy is to distract people. It's always been. Distract people from the person of Jesus Christ and the truth of him as a person and what he did coming into planet Earth in time and space. Coming in the... Jesus Christ coming to Earth in time and space. Listen to this. Some of our um, struggles are, remain the same. Actually, they all do. We're wondering, where did I come from? Who am I? Where am I going? What's the meaning of life? Is there right and wrong? Is there a purpose for my life? And Satan's busy trying to distract people from looking deeply into those questions or allowing those questions to be answered. And so we just have another stimulus to respond to and that, that um, covers us, gets us to the next moment and the next moment and the next moment without having to deal with the question. So it's a crazy world. Yes or no? Is it a crazy world that we're living in right now? Is it getting more crazy every day? It's getting more crazy every day. It's so crazy. So crazy. All the news is agenda-driven, right? It's all political, not fact-reporting. Even the fact-checks sometimes are the worst. They're the most unfactual, the fact-checks. Jeez. Families are under attack. So, um, do you feel nervous? Do you feel, do you feel fearful, anxious when you think about the world that we're living in? You know, people's brains are changing. That's, that's just true. People's brains are changing because of the amount of stimuli. Our brains are being rewired because of the world that we live in. It's just natural for that to happen. The Bible says that in the end times, the love of many will grow cold. 
cold towards God, cold towards each other. Maybe we'll lose the ability in many respects to love deeply. Lord, speak to us this morning. Speak to us, Lord. We need a fresh word from you, God. Lord, you say that you are a rewarder of those who diligently seek you. Jesus came into the world and he said, I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness because you will have the light that leads to life. He claimed to be the light that leads to life. What a statement that is. He didn't point people toward a light or toward a path. He said, I am the light that leads to life. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. If you found yourself in the darkness of a cave and you could not see your hand in front of your face, you did not know which way was which, what would you do? You'd maybe yell and hope that someone would hear you and would respond from some direction. Or you would feel your way about and stumble about in hopes of seeing a, a glimpse of a ray of light coming from somewhere. And what if you did see a ray of light very faint ray of light, your heart would fill with hope. And you would make your way towards that light, feeling, stumbling, toward that light, and that light would grow brighter and brighter until you walked out of the mouth of the cave. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you won't walk in darkness because you will have the light that leads to life. He said this in the presence of of a lot of people inside the temple in Jerusalem. And at this time, it was the Feast of Tabernacles, and there was two large pillars there that would be lit on this occasion once a year. And they would be lit on fire, huge pillars, give light to the whole area right there. And these pillars were symbolic of the children of Israel when they came out of Egypt, out of captivity in Egypt. They were led by a cloud, a pillar of cloud by night, and a pillar of fire by day. Or opposite of that, cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. And so that was what led them to the promised land. That's what kept them warm in the desert nights, showed the way. Jesus stood right there in the temple courts and says, I am the light that leads to life. Acts 17.27 says, God's purpose through creation was for the nations to seek after God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. God is not far from you. Feels like God's distance or that he doesn't exist. God is not far from you. God is not far from me. Jesus stepped into this dark world and said, I am the light 
that leads to life. What does light do? Light illuminates. It reveals reality. It exposes realities. In some places we might like light. In some places we might not like light in our life. Some of us have a closet, and if guests come over, you'd rather leave the light off in the closet because it's a mess. There's other places you'd like people to see, and we turn the light on. But light exposes reality. What does light do? Illuminates, reveals reality, exposes reality. Here's what Jesus did when he came. We should really read all of John. And I I encourage you, if you are wondering about the person of Christ, who is Jesus? What else did he say? Read the book of John. It begins by saying that uh, in the beginning, the Word was with God and the Word was God. The Word being Christ. In the beginning, God spoke the world into existence. By his Word, he spoke the world into existence. John 1 continues, it says that the Word took on flesh and dwelt among us. By him, all things were created. Nothing was, crea- or nothing was created that was not created through Jesus. He was the light of life. And the darkness could not overcome him. Read through it. Jesus says that he's the bread of life. What does that mean? The bread of life. When the Israelites, the Jewish people, came out of captivity again, they were led by that cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night. They were in the wilderness, the Sinai Desert. What was their food there? There was not food there. God gave them food and sustained them by something that fell to the ground each day called manna. The word manna actually means, what is this? What is this? It was like a bread-like substance, somewhat sweet, manna. And they were kept alive by this bread from heaven. Jesus said that he was the bread of life from heaven. Whoever eats of him would live forever. There's a physical reality, and then there was the greater significance foreshadowing the spiritual reality of Christ. He said he was the fount of living water, that anyone who drank of him would not thirst again. He was at a well with a woman, and he was thirsty. He was at a well in Samaria. There was a Samaritan woman getting water from the well, and he asked if he might have a drink. She goes, how are you, a Jew, asking me, a Samaritan? They despised, Jews despised Samaritans. She was surprised he would ask her for anything. They didn't want to touch him or look at him. How is it that you, a Jew, are asking me for water? And he says, if you knew who I am, you would ask me for water, and I would give you living water. You'd never thirst again. And she put her faith in him as the Savior, as the Messiah that God sent. All the prophecies in the Old Testament spoke of a coming Messiah, of a Redeemer to come. Lots of witnesses. The stars aligned for Christ's birth. Do you know that? Do you know he made the stars? Did you know in Genesis he said that he made the stars for signs and seasons? You read that in Genesis 1? He made the stars for signs and for seasons. We know seasons, and they play a part in our solar system, for signs. 
Stars came, or a star, or whatever that was, made a great light over Bethlehem when Jesus came. That wasn't by accident. That was on purpose. That was intended from the very beginning. There's going to be more signs in the skies, according to Revelation, with the end times coming. Jesus making these claims about himself. I'm the light of the world. You can't make a claim about yourself like that. That's not valid. You can't testify about yourself like that. The Pharisees said in the next verse, John 8, 13. He says, my, my claim is valid even if I say it myself. It was a few years ago, we went to um, Governor Dodge Lake and had some guys in the car with me. And we were driving down. We had a great time. We're driving back, making small talk on the way back. One of the guys in the car from Life Church um, worked for the FBI. And he'd worked for the FBI for a lot of years. And he was in the, in the back seat, and there was another, a few other guys in my car. One guy riding shotgun, uh, he posed a question, what do you do for, for work? And he goes, well, I'm in the FBI. And he goes, and I'm an astronaut. That's what he said. And, we, and when he said, no, he, he actually really, he's like, yeah, right. And like carried on, and carried on. And we're like, he actually does. He's worked for the FBI for a long time. He's, he, that's what he does. And, and he's like, oh. <laughs> Jesus said he was the light of the world. Yeah. And he wasn't kidding anybody. Right. Colossians 1.15, the sun is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all of creation. John 1.18, no one has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son who's in the bosom of the Father, he has made him known. Hebrews 1.3, the Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of majesty in heaven. Do you want to know what God's like? How do we know God's character, his heart, his desires, his thoughts, his intentions? You're here and I'm here. And this is not accidental that we exist. There's a God. How do we know what he's like? Jesus said he came to reveal the Father. He says, I speak nothing apart from what I hear the Father speak. I do nothing apart from what the Father does. Jesus at all times was surrendered to the Holy Spirit of God. He was without sin. He was holy. Who in this world has ever claimed to be without sin? Who in the entire world has said that with any type of credibility? Jesus Christ said that. And it was said of him. Jesus came to reveal the Father. He desires love and mercy over that of judgment. He's just. He will judge, but he desires mercy for every person. He desires forgiveness, grace, and mercies for every person everywhere. You want to know who God is? You want to know what God looks like? How did Jesus deal with the woman caught in the act of adultery? 
Religious leaders brought her around. They were testing Jesus. They were ready to stone her according to their Jewish law. And they were waiting to see what Jesus would say. And what Jesus would do. Long story short, Jesus says, I do not condemn you. Go and sin no more. He didn't say, stop sinning and then I won't condemn you. No, he said, I don't condemn you. Now go and sin no more. He poured mercy upon her. He poured love upon her right there. He didn't condone the sin. He said, that's the wrong lifestyle. Don't walk in that lifestyle. It's not good. But I forgive you. And I love you. God does that to anyone who confesses before him or is ready to receive mercy in their life. How did Jesus deal with Peter who continually lacked faith and then denied him three times? Jesus is in court being sentenced to crucifixion and what does Peter do? He denies Jesus three times right there and walks out. When Jesus died, when he rose from the dead, he said, tell the disciples I'm alive and that I will meet them in Galilee and tell Peter too. Tell Peter. I would have been like, Tell the disciples and forget Peter. Forget Peter. He could have stood up for me. He could have said something about me. He let me die. Go get Peter. And then he walks with Peter. And he commissions Peter. And he gives Peter the keys to the kingdom. He says, feed my sheep, Peter. Feed my sheep. If you've abandoned Jesus, Jesus comes looking for you. He says, I love you. I want you with me. Feed my sheep. How did he treat Zacchaeus, who stole from people and took advantage of them? He would rip people off. He was the tax guy for the Roman Empire in Judea, and he would take more than his fair share, as many of the tax people there would do. And he was wealthy, very wealthy. He climbed up in a tree, Zacchaeus did, to catch a glimpse of Jesus. I would think his heart is compelling him to do something of this nature and to watch. And Jesus comes, and Jesus says, Zacchaeus, come down from there. I'm going to your house today for lunch. And Zacchaeus, me? You're coming to my house? What? And he goes on to say, if I've stolen, whatever I've stolen from people, I'm going to pay back twofold. He was changed from the inside out. He experienced the love and the grace of God coming after him in his greedy, taken advantaging ways. He was a changed man. How did Jesus treat the prostitute who came with perfume to wash his feet with her tears and with her hair? You're sitting in, in, a, in a home of important people. And she came and did that. And the people said, does he even know who she is? He would not let a sinner like that touch him if he, if he knew who she was. And Jesus honored her. He blessed her. He spoke highly of this, of this lady. God's not restrained, confined by your past. He is there to give you love and mercy and grace and to fill you with his Holy Spirit. How did Jesus treat Thomas who doubted him? I'm not 
Jesus rose from the dead. I don't believe that. Fine, Thomas. Go to perish. No. He showed up to Thomas. Came right to Thomas. Even Thomas is doubting. Came to Thomas. Came to Thomas and said, put your finger in my hands and put your hand in my side, Thomas. And Thomas fell to the ground. My Lord and my God. My Lord and my God. Jesus runs to people. And he runs to them with more love than they could ever expect. And more grace and forgiveness. You think, not me. Yes, you. And Jesus came to reveal the Father God. Sometimes we have a problem. We think God is the wrathful God of judgment and Jesus is our nice friend. Absolutely not true. Absolutely not true. Their mind and their mission is completely united. God sent Jesus to die for you. God and Jesus have the same mission, the same desires. Jesus is the Word of God. He took on flesh and dwelt among us. And the Holy Spirit, God's Spirit, the Spirit of Christ, can live in you. How did Jesus deal with Paul, who killed Christians? His name was Saul. Went around finding Christians, dragging them out of their homes, throwing them in prison, casting votes against them so that they would be killed. How did God treat Paul? Jesus appeared to, to Saul, Paul, on the road to Damascus. He says, I'm the one you're persecuting. Paul was doing this, Saul was doing this in ignorance. He was very zealous in his religious state that he was in. He was a Pharisee. He's very religious, very zealous. Thinks he's doing the right thing. Recognizes that Jesus is the light of the world. Jesus is the light of the world. Didn't happen in a vacuum. It's not a funny story, an old story, or, or, or a myth that we can gain some type of morals from. This happened in real time. The Spirit of God is as real as I'm standing here. And the Spirit of God transforms people from the inside out. First he comes and he lavishes love upon your life, and then he transforms you from the inside out, and all of a sudden you have new thoughts in your head that you've never had before. You have new desires inside of you that you never had before. I never had a desire to be a pastor. I, if you ask me, I remember thinking this as a kid in Rapid City, South Dakota, sitting in a church, and I'm like, man, I would never be a pastor. I don't want to be seen as religious, and I do not want to be seen as holy or something. I don't, I don't want that. I don't want to be seen like that. I don't want. How is it that after college, and I got a music degree, and I, was, I ended up playing in a band and then teaching uh, at a school, a call came for me to be a pastor of youth. Not a call came. I, I got engaged to the pastor's daughter. <laughs> She's getting married, and he said, you want to come be the youth pastor? I did have a Bible minor from college, not with the intention of being a pastor, though. It's my curiosity and interest and growth in God. Guess what? Over time, God is working in me. First, he, he followed me with his love and grace. In my addictions... He followed me and he loved me. In my loneliness, he followed me and he loved me. Jesus came to seek and save the lost. 
And he came and he poured out his love on me and I start crying. Like, God, he likes me anyway. He loves me anyway. And then he starts changing me from the inside out. And all of a sudden I have a passion for youth and I want to help them know Jesus. What? And then he says, you want to be a pastor? I'm like, yeah! I want to come be a youth pastor. What? That is proof of Jesus Christ, the Spirit of Christ, working in a life. And that's what he does today. And even with all the distractions and the knowledge and the to and fro and the busyness, the Spirit of Jesus is so powerful to those who open up the door to the light. And light, if a door is opened, light fills the room. Jesus calling your name this morning. Do you feel God? Do you see God through Jesus Christ today? Because he's here again. Jesus is doing it right now. Showing you who God is. This is who God is. Praise God. Some people need to put their faith in Christ today. We could, we could talk for years about evidences for Jesus and look at prophecies and look at history and, and we could look at the witnesses and we could do all of that. And those are intellectual games we can play. And there's evidences, great evidence, and we can walk down those roads. It's great. Some people have emotional issues. Well, I can't believe in Jesus. My parents didn't believe in Jesus. And where would they be if Jesus is not real? And, and, and that's understandable. There's emotion that comes into play. My friends, the light of the world has come to earth. And he is the way to life. And he is the real deal. Some people have just been born into a prejudice. You're surrounded by a prejudice against Christianity or against Jesus. So you've never honestly seen who he is or looked to see or allow him to speak for himself. Prejudices. There are others that are just rebellious and bullheaded because they don't want to bend the knee. Jesus is going to ask me to change my my social life. He's going to want to take charge of my sex life. He might call me to go to Africa. I don't want to go to Africa. (laughs) So they won't bend the knee to Jesus. Jesus isn't an add-on to our life. Plays sports. I do this for a hobby. I like this kind of music. I work here. This is my family. And I think about Jesus sometimes on Sundays. I think he's great. And I like Jesus too. I love him. No. Jesus is our life. He's our life. He's, he is the way, the truth, the life. He's not the, even the way to life. He is the life. He's the life. Our peace is Jesus. Our joy is Jesus. He's a person. God.
So this morning, for many people, today is a day of reckoning to say, I'm a sinner. And instead of denying that, instead of blaming others for that, instead of justifying that, I'm just going to admit it. I am a sinner. I've sinned against a holy God. I've sinned in this world. I'm a sinner in need of God's grace and mercies. And I accept the light of the world. Jesus, be my savior, be my leader, be my authority. I'm putting my faith in you today. And it's not a magic prayer, and it's not going to church, and it's not doing calisthenics, walking on glass that puts you right with God. It's you accepting the free gift of salvation through Jesus Christ. Accepting the light of, the light of life. Putting your faith in Jesus. <clears throat> Some of you do that this morning. And... Um, And do it. Do it while there's time. Do it while the Holy Spirit is moving and getting your attention before your attention is distracted again. Let the Holy Spirit of Jesus Christ, the Spirit of God, enter you today where he will make his home and he'll begin a great work in you that he will bring into completion on the day of Christ Jesus' return. Never will he leave you, never will he forsake you. Friend that sticks, stays truer than a brother, Jesus Christ. There's time for you to make that choice today. And I'm going to ask that you come forward and you kneel at the altar. You say, why, why do that? What's that about? Why do that? Something breaks. Chains break in your life. When you say, Jesus, I give my life to you. And this isn't just a hidden, uh, maybe mental thing I'm doing. This is a symbol. Significant. Let the light flood your heart. Let the light flood your soul, your mind your relationships. Praise God. Lord, you're speaking today by that same powerful spirit that rose Christ from the dead, that lived in Jesus. Spirit of God. You're speaking to the people you love that you created to be with you the people you endeavor to rescue. You're winning the hearts. You're winning the hearts of the lost because you're the champion of sinners. You're the victor. Defeated sin, death, the grave. You take what's old and you make it new. So, some of you have a decision to make today and you need to make it. You need to make it. It doesn't matter if anybody's looking or not looking. 
You need to put your faith in Christ. And I don't care if you come back to this church or not. We're not after anybody's money. We're after souls. You follow Jesus. Let Jesus live in you. Take up residence. The King of kings. The Lord of lords. Spirit gives us strength. God's Spirit helps us. God's Spirit convicts us and testifies of righteousness and warns of judgment. If you have not put your faith in Jesus Christ today, I cannot make you do that. I can lead a horse to water. I can't make a horse drink water. They're bigger than me and they're stronger than me. The Holy Spirit can bring you right to the person of Christ. And it's up to you to say, yes, Lord Jesus. I give my life to you. You gave your life for me. I give my life. Take up residency in me. Be my king. Be my purpose, my meaning, my destiny. Praise the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. worship team play and you can sing we're going to give God time right now for his spirit to sweep over us flow through us be filled with his spirit this morning have your perspectives change your priorities rearranged strength where you're so weak boldness where you're so afraid the spirit of God is all powerful It's all knowing. So let's let God move and let's take steps of faith toward Him in our mind, in our praying. Be proactive in seeking Him this morning.
surrendering your life to him this morning. Whatever that is and whatever areas those are for you, Jesus, I give these to you today.